God, thank you uh, so much for people like Bob and Kathy, and I'm just thinking of literally scores and hundreds of others through the years that have come to know you as a result of Sunlight Community Church. And just as we were worshiping, just, just listening people to just lift their voices to praise you and worship you, God. Lord, sunlight is still here, and I am believing that the best is yet to come. And so I'm praying this morning, and I'm asking you, Father, Lord, even through servants such as myself who are so unworthy, unworthy of salvation, let alone to be up here standing before people and, and talking about you, God, I pray that it would be your spirit who would just work through me, speak through me. May our eyes be open. May our ears hear what you want us to say and then to put into practice. Lord, I, I pray for those maybe who are here this morning that you've been drawing them to yourself. And perhaps today is their day when they place their faith in you and become alive in you. Maybe others, God, who, who've just been discouraged or maybe just struggling to to just continue walking with you. Maybe some that are just looking for that deeper walk. God, may your will be done today, and may, Lord, uh, all of us here just, just be in the present, here right now, and we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen and amen. To say that the religious leaders of Jesus' day did not like him is a gross understatement. In fact, they simply did not like, it wasn't, wasn't that they just disliked Jesus, they absolutely hated him, they despised him, and they held him in contempt. Why? Well, because he questioned their beliefs. He confronted their behavior. He challenged their religious rules. He disregarded their beloved traditions, and he even exposed their hypocrisy. Matthew tells us that Jesus had rattled their cage so much that they finally decided to do something about it. In fact, Matthew twenty-two fifteen says, the Pharisees went out, and listen to this, the Pharisees went out and they laid plans to trap him in his words. Notice what's going on here. The, the, the Pharisees, the fundamentalists of the Jewish faith, deliberately conspire together to construct and to devise a plan that will ultimately trap and, ens and ensnare Jesus, the Son of God. They would, once and for all, demonstrate that this uneducated and inexperienced carpenter from Nazareth was no match for the religious pros. He obviously didn't know who he was messing with. They were out to expose and humiliate him for the fraud that they knew him to be. And so they came up with this threefold plan. First of all, they would send in a delegation of Herodians, who, by the way, were the Pharisees' kind of arch enemies, if you will. Um, who, who is, I, I, man, that's been so long. Who is Angola's arch enemy in, um, in basketball? Fremont, okay. It'd be like going up to Fremont and getting these guys to conspire with you, all right? Um, so I know, I'm, I'm hearing whispers out there, so I know that's, uh, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd like to hear a more about that. They go out and they get the Herodians, and they send them in as kind of the leadoff hitters, along with kind of some of their own 
um, followers to question Jesus about paying taxes. The second barrage would come from a group of religious liberals, the Sadducees. They would pose a question about the afterlife, which, by the way, they didn't even believe, on what um, on, on uh, a, a spe- specific issue about marriage. And then the cleanup hitters would be one of their own, an expert Pharisee who was an expert in the Decalogue or the Law of Moses. And he would pose a hotly debated question among the religious elite as to what was the most important commandment. So the first group, to the first group, Jesus told them when they came in and, and they said, is it right to pay taxes? And man, I got to tell you, as I was reading that uh, a, a few months ago, I'm thinking, boy, I just wish Jesus would have said, absolutely not. Don't pay taxes. Don't. But they were trying to trap him because they knew if he said no, then he would be going against the authorities. And if he said yes, then he would be going against God. And so Jesus says, well, show me a coin. And they're they were picking out a coin. And he says, whose inscription, whose portrait inscription is on that? They said, well, Caesar's. And then Jesus says, tell you what, you give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and you give to God what is God's. And can you imagine them kind of backing off, like, oh, oh okay, <laughs> yeah, right. And just scratching their heads like, how could you argue with that? So leadoff hitters fail to get on base. Then the second group comes in, the liberal Sadducees who did not believe in afterlife. And so they come to Jesus and they said, Jesus, we're really wrestling with this difficult problem here. You see, we knew this woman who, who basically, she had a husband who died and then after he died, she remarried another guy and then he died and then this happened seven times. And so we were kind of wondering when she gets to heaven, <laughs> whose wife or whose, whose husband will be, who will be your husband in heaven? You know? Now, I'm sure there, I'll better be quiet, there are some religious people in this day that believe we will be getting married in heaven and be celestial gods and, and what have you. Um, but Jesus looks at the Sadducees. He says, you are an heir because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. In heaven, we'll be like the angels. There is no marriage. And he says, and God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And so they strike out. So then they send in, send in the cleanup hitter, the Pharisee, the expert in the law of Moses, the Decalogue. Now understand that Pharisees, uh, one of the things that, that they love to do is to get together and just debate religion and, and to debate theology. Have you better, ever been around people like that that just, it's all they love to do. Now there's nothing wrong with debating it, uh, but if that's all you ever do, then yeah, there's a little bit wrong with that. And so one of the, the hotly debated topics of these particular Pharisees was, which is the greatest commandment? I mean, which one really encapsulate, the, the, what, what is the most important? Well, interestingly enough, when this guy comes to Jesus and he asks him, Jesus basically tells him in several gospels, we're told, Jesus says, well, you know the scriptures. And Jesus takes it from the Shema, both in um, Deuteronomy chapter 9, 
as well as Levit- or Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus, Leviticus 19. And Jesus says, the first one is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and one of the other gospels says, and all your strength. And Jesus says, and the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I see a lot of shirts. In fact, I happen, Pastor John gave me a shirt, and I wear it proudly, by the way, a sunlight shirt that says, love God and love others. How many of you have one of those? All right. How many just know someone that's got one of those? All right. Okay. Love God and love others. And Jesus is saying, this is it. According to Jesus, the best version of my life will revolve around two specific quests, a passionate pursuit of God and a compassionate heart for people. It's interesting because after Jesus said it, then he turns to them and he says, "Um, who does David say the son of man is? And they couldn't answer the question because they knew that it would point back to him. And it says from then on, they didn't ask him any more questions. Trying to put Jesus in his place, he put them in their place. But notice what Jesus says. Let that sink in for just a moment. If we were to ask people and take a poll in churches this morning all across our nation, what's the most important aspect of the Christian life? We would probably get numerous answers, wouldn't we? Some would say, well, it's worship. Others would say, no, it's evangelism. Others would say, no, it's discipleship. Others would say, no, it's fellowship. Jesus says the best version of your life and my life is encapsulated by these two quests. Jesus was telling the religious leader and us that of all the teachings in scriptures, there are two that are higher than all the others. There are two that encapsulate the essence of the God way of life. There are two that if you dare take them seriously and embrace them, they will lift you out of lifeless religion and activate your faith like nothing else. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with everything you've got. I would describe this first activating agent, if you will, as a passionate pursuit of God. And that's what I want to talk to you about in the two and a half hours that we have left this morning. (laughs) The first thing that we need to know about this passionate pursuit of God is that it starts with believing in him. It starts with Believing in him, you can't be passionate about something that you don't believe in. I used to work for Culligan Water. Did you know that? I was the Culligan man. And I've got to tell you, the more I got into it, the more passionate I got about it. It's like, man, good water is really underrated, isn't it? I mean, good water is just like almost rare. And as I began to study and as I began to test water tables, I began to realize just how bad some of our water was. And people were drinking poison. And I'm thinking, man, we've, we've, we've got to get good water. I became very passionate and I believed in it. And I'm telling you, I did pretty good. I was, I was a pretty good salesman. Because I believed in what I was selling. 
And I think the first thing that we need to know about this loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, this passionate pursuit of God, is that it's initiated when we first believe in him. Listen to what the Apostle John says about this in John chapter 1, verse 12. He says, To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right, the word there literally means power, he gave the right or the power to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. Just as I was describing Bob and Kathy this morning, They became passionate about God when they were born again, when they were spiritually born. This is the initiation of that passionate pursuit of God. Now, for those of you who have done this, for those of you who have believed in him, have received him, there was a passion, wasn't there, when you first received him? I remember when it happened to me. I mean, it was like nothing else I had ever experienced in my life. There was a change that took place. And so when a person truly believes that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for their sins, that he rose again from the dead, something truly miraculous takes place on the inside. Their sin is removed, and the very Spirit of God, listen to this, the very Spirit of God takes up residence in a person's heart and life. Have you experienced that? Have, have you experienced the very Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit coming into your life? Paul tells us in Colossians 1 that was the mystery of the gospel. This is the mystery that no longer would God reside in the temple, his what they called the Shekinah glory or his manifest presence would, would um, abide and reside in the temple. When the veil was torn, when Jesus was crucified, God was was announcing a new address. His address would no longer be in the holiest of holies. His temple would now reside in the bodies of believers. Think about that. The very Spirit of Christ comes into us and resides in us. This was the mystery. Interestingly enough, when we think about that happening in our lives, why would God do that? Well, first of all, because he wanted, he wanted to save us from the penalty of sin. And not only did he want to save us from the penalty of sin, he also wanted to give us power over sin. And so he came to take up residence in our hearts, in our lives. And so what what does God do? Paul tells us over in Philippians chapter 2 that when the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in us at that instant when we believe by grace through faith that he goes to work. Listen to this. In Philippians 2.13, Paul tells the church at Philippi, he says, Now more than ever, as you've obeyed in my presence, now obey in my absence. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to do his good will. And what Paul was telling us is that, look, we are to work out in our lives what God is working in us. When you have the Holy Spirit in your heart and in your life, he goes to work. What is his work? What is he trying to do? I'll tell you what he's trying to do. 
Good question. Thanks for asking. He is trying to make us more like Jesus. He is trying to make us into the image of the Son of God. And, and it's, it's about character development. It's not about trying to be better. It's about becoming. In fact, if you will, that's the second thing about this passionate pursuit of God that we need to know is that it is initiated by believing in the Son of God and it continues by becoming like Him. This passionate pursuit of God continues by becoming like Him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 in the, good word, in, in the Good News Version says, all of us reflect God's glory with faces that are not covered with veils. We are being changed into His image with ever-increasing glory. Once the Spirit of God comes into a person's life, he goes to work. And Paul says this, this is a major part of God's work in us. In Philippians 2.13, listen to this from the New Living Translation. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Did you catch that? God the Holy Spirit goes to work in giving you, first of all, the desire to do what pleases him. I got to tell you, I never had that before Christ came into my life. I had desires, all right, but they certainly weren't of God, and I can't talk about them here this morning. <laughs> but when the Holy Spirit comes in, he gives us a passion and a desire to do the things that God wants us to do and to be who God wants us to be. Not only does he give us the desire, but he also gives us the power. Do You know, that's the, the most wonderful thing about being a follower of Christ and about Christ living in us is that we have the power. We have the power to overcome any temptation that comes our way. Any temptation that comes our way. Um, John said it this way in, in one of his letters. He says, who is it that, that overcomes this world? He says, simply, it's the person who has faith in Jesus. That, even our faith, that is who overcomes this world. He gives us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So, what is it that pleases God? What is it that really pleases God? I love Romans 8.29 in the New Living Translation. It says this, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his Son." The thing that pleases God the most from those who believe in his son is for them to become like his son. One of my favorite authors put it this way. God's ultimate goal for your life on this earth is not comfort, but rather character development. He wants you to grow up spiritually and become like Christ. Becoming like Christ does not mean losing your personality or becoming a mindless clone. I, I kind of thought that's really what being a Christian was, being a mindless clone. Because I met a lot of people that considered themselves Christians that kind of seemed that way. God created your uniqueness, so he certainly doesn't want to destroy it. Christ-likeness is all about transforming your character, not your personality. So much of the, the, of the Western Christian mindset is steeped in accomplishment, 
achievement, productivity, even in church. How many people are attending? How many people are giving? It's so easy to look at ourselves and what we have or, or maybe haven't accomplished and base our self-worth on those things. But maybe a better way to evaluate our lives and even our churches might be to ask the question, what are we becoming? When you look in the mirror of your heart, and by the way, one of the best ways to do that is to read the Word of God. It, it just reveals us, doesn't it? And sometimes that's why I really don't want to read it. <laughs> I'm like, I don't like what I'm becoming. But when you look in the mirror of your heart and you ask yourself, what, what am I really becoming? You know the crazy thing is now that I'm 88 years old, um, the doctor told me that the other day. He goes, man, you're in great shape for an 88-year-old. Um, but I honestly thought the older I got, this would get easier. It's like, yeah, oh, man, you know, old people, yeah, they're not tempted by anything, right? <laughs> wow. Someone said that the sin of youth is pride and the sin of older age is bitterness. Man, the, the older you get, it's, it's easy sometimes to think, man, I haven't, haven't accomplished really what I thought I would at this point in time, or, or I haven't done the things that, and, and seen the places that I, I really wanted to see, and, and now it feels like it's, 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 you know, the, the clock is ticking. I am convinced that life is not just about the end result. Life is not just about going to heaven. If Christ is living in you, that's a done deal. The Holy Spirit's been given to you as a deposit. But listen to me, it's what you're becoming in the process. And that's what this passionate pursuit of God is all about. It's about becoming more like Christ. It would be totally ludicrous to think that in this message I could somehow impart everything to you, to you to know about becoming like Christ. But I do want to give you an axiom that I think could benefit all of us greatly. And here it is. In order to become like him, we have to be with him. Does that make sense? In order to become like Christ... We must be with Christ. Remember when, when John, uh, Peter and John were, were, were after Christ had been risen and, and God had worked a miracle through them to heal a man and, and they brought Peter and John before their religious councils and, and they said, we don't know what to do with these guys and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Wow. Wouldn't it be great if that's what people thought about you, wow. You can say what you want about that person, but I can tell you what, they've been with Jesus. Have you met someone like that? Boy, I have. I've met some people that just, oh my word. And, and you know the funny thing is, is most of those people in my life have been older adults who have demonstrated, I have some people like that right now who've demonstrated the joy of the Lord being their strength, that they're still in older age, becoming more and more like Christ. 
Because friends, that's what a passionate pursuit of Christ is all about, is being more like him. Brother Lawrence called it practicing the presence of God. It's the realization that he's in you, you're in him, and it's more than a relationship. You're part of one another. This isn't just religion. This isn't rituals. This is not ceremonies. This is being in Christ and he in you. You cannot be separated. You speak to him, he answers. Where you go, he goes. You're together. You read his word and he opens your eyes to understand it. He's truly living in you and if you allow him, he will live through you. As you follow him, he forms you. He changes you. And you become more and more like him. Friends, I've had people ask me the, the question so many, on so many occasions, do people really change? <laughs> I had a friend who asked me that just the other day, and, and he said, you know, I had a guy, an older guy, I asked him, do people really change? And he says, the old guy sat back in his, his chair, he says, yeah, but not much. <laughs> I am convinced the only true change that can take place in our hearts and our lives is through the power of the living Christ within us. We can change, friends. It is possible. There is hope for all of us. Christ began this work in us, and he will continue this work until he completes it. But listen to me. We're not a finished product. None of us here are a finished product. I've been told that I'm a piece of work at times, you know? And Nick, boy, he's a piece of work, isn't he? And it's like, you're right, I am. But I'm not a finished work, and neither are you. Aren't you glad about that? This becoming, wherever you're at right now, here's the good news. God wants to take you to the next step, whatever that is. And with his power, giving you that desire, because if he lives in you, you want that. And, and I get it, man, there's so many things right now, so many things that just seem to pull at us and seem to just eat away and, and break away at, at our faith and our hearts. And it's so easy sometimes to fall to those things, isn't it? I mean, honest, whether it's temptation, whether it's being deceived by the liar, or, or maybe being lured by the world, or, or, or maybe even our own desires that we fight with on a daily basis. Some of you think, oh, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that struggles with these things. No, you're not. Everybody does. If you're a human being, you're struggling with those things. And I got some good news for you. You can become more like Christ. Whatever you've done yesterday, whatever you've done in your past, it's in the past. Christ can take you right here, right now, wherever you're at. And he can, tell, he can help you become more like him. That's what he's after. And that's what having a passionate pursuit of God is all about. But it doesn't stop there. A passionate pursuit of God is initiated by believing in him. It continues as we become more like him. And by the way, real quick there, you want to talk about, you, you want to know where spiritual sparks really fly? It's when you combine the spirit of God, the word of God, and the people of God together. Jesus said it this way, we're, we're just two or three are gathered together. That's a small group. <laughs> 
That's where spiritual sparks can play. We need each other to encourage one another, build one another up, not beat one another up, right? To help one another. That's just good preaching, Jay. Thank you. It doesn't stop there by believing in him and becoming like him. The last thing that I want to say is that it doesn't have to stop there. And that brings us to our final thought about this passionate pursuit of God. And that is simply this, that a passionate pursuit of God persists by seeking after him. Man, there's a passage here in, 11, in Hebrews 11, 5, that I think captures this higher level of passionately pursuing God. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life, so he did not experience death. Did you know that? I mean, I remember reading this. It was like, God says he could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And, and this is the verse that we tend to quote more. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who what? Who go to church. No, he doesn't say that. Now, it's a great thing to go. And it's great to see everybody. You're a good-looking group today. You're the best-looking group I've seen today. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, I don't know about you, but, but these verses blow me away. Because, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit just, a, I, I just how selfish I am. It's not pretty, and it certainly doesn't please Christ. And so when I read about a guy called Enoch, whom the Bible says believed, sought, and pleased God so much that God spares him from death and literally just beams him up. Wow. That's amazing. Genesis 5.24 says this simply about Enoch. Enoch walked with God. What an understatement. <laughs> And he was no more because God took him away. God rewards those who earnestly seek him. And, and right after this, Hebrews talks about Noah. The same thing, if you go to Genesis 6, it says Noah, his defining characteristic, he walked with God. You know what this tells me? That there's a, there's a, a deeper level to this passionate pursuit of Christ. I got to tell you, I'm not there. I feel like I've gotten snippets, but I want this more than ever now. There's a deeper level of, of walking with God that these guys experienced. I want in to where you're pleasing God. You're seeking him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. This is no ordinary walk. It went deeper. They lived lives of faith that were deeply surrendered and submitted to serving and loving God. They lived lives of sacrifice and they suffered ridicule and loss. Whew. One of the places that I found in the scripture, you know, when we ask ourselves, what does that look like for us today? And don't think for a minute that we've got it any worse than what those guys did. We think the perversity and the lostness that we see in the world today, we're going to be talking about that next week, how to have compassion for people in this day and age. But Noah and Enoch lived 
in some very, very wicked, dark days, and yet they walked with God. It's possible. Don't let anyone tell you that it's not. Don't let the deceiver lie to you and accept those lies. Don't let your feelings mislead you. It is possible. So what does that look like? And, and, and this is where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close it up today. There is a passage of Scripture that i got to tell you, guys, um, I'm just getting going here, but I'll stop. I promise. I always promise. I make a promise to every, everywhere I speak is I always promise to stop when I'm through. Okay? So we'll, we'll do that some more. I'm um, making some of you nervous, I know. But we're, we're almost done here, okay? There's a passage of Scripture that just has captivated me and has just captured me. I think I go to it just about every day because, to me, it encapsulates what this passionate pursuit of Christ looks like, or at least gives us a snapshot and an outline. And it's in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul gives us an inside look at his own passionate pursuit of God. Let me read it to you, if you don't mind. In verse 7 of chapter 3 in Philippians, he says, and in and, and previous here, he's talked about what, what used to be important to him, all the religiosities and all the achievements. But he says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing, and that word knowing means experiencing Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. Boy, you keep hearing loss, loss, loss. Interesting. I consider them rubbish. I dare you to do a word study on that, on, on that word. We don't want to go there this morning. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that, not, that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And here we go. Here it is. I want to know Christ. And I'm thinking, man, if there's anyone that ever knew Christ, it would have been Paul. But this is years after his Damascus Road experience, and he's saying, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. Father, forgive them. They don't know how to drive on this road. Oh, wow. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained it or have already been made perfect, but here we go. But I press on. This, this phrase right here, it literally means pursue. Literally. I pursue to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. A.W. Tozer said this in, in his, his great classic, The Pursuit of God. He says, the only reason that any of us can pursue God is because he pursued us first. Some of you are here right now. Some of you are listening online. He's been pursuing you. And maybe today he catches you. Maybe today is your day where he catches you. And you know what? That happened for Paul. That's happened for me. That's happened for many others here this morning. But when Paul says, I I press on, listen to what he says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. This is his pursuit. I'm trying to figure out constantly, why did he catch me? Why did he take hold of me? There's a reason, there's a purpose. It's for you to become like his son, but he also has a very specific mission and ministry in your life. Friends, that's what church ought to be all about. 
preparing and equipping all of us to be sent into ministry and mission for the glory of God and to bear much fruit. Amen, Brother Jay. That's good preaching. Yep. He says this, though. Brothers, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it. I'm not there yet. Oh, aren't you glad he said that? I'm not there yet. I, I, haven't, I haven't fully grasped it. But listen to what he does. Ooh. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. And here's that phrase again. I press on. This is my pursuit. This is my pursuit in life. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul's pursuit looks like. He's like, look, I had to lose. I've got to lose so many things. Jesus said this. Jesus said it this way. I'm still social distancing here, I promise. I have to social distance at about 12 feet because I tend to spit whenever I'm preaching. So, um, so I've got a little, little more distance. This is what Paul's saying is like, if you want to go deeper, you got to go lighter. You got you to lose some things. You got to lose some things that's holding you back and weighing you down. Get rid of them. Oh, do you know how good that feels? I got to tell you, I did that this morning. Man, as I went on a walk and, and God's saying, okay, you're going to preach on this, Nicholas. I want to tell you something. There's something you need to lose right now. And I did. Oh, man, I feel lighter. Paul says you got to lose some things. Jesus said this, whoever wants to save his life is going to lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. If you want to really live fully alive, it's in Christ. Paul says I lose those things. And then he says, I let go of the past. I just, I let go. that's, That's easier said than done, isn't it? But sometimes the past can paralyze us. God can give you the power to let go. And I like how Paul puts this because, there again, I'm not a Greek scholar, and I'm not going to give you a Greek lesson. I had three years of this stuff. I, I know enough to be dangerous. But here's what I know about that phrase is, he says, I keep doing, forgetting what's behind. I do it over and over and over again. When memories come up, I do it again. I forget, and I let it go. Because in order to grasp Onto what God has for me. I've got to let go of these other things. I've got to lose. I've got to let go. And then I've got to grasp. I reach forward and grasp. And then the last thing is, he says, and I keep doing this every day. This is my life. This is my pursuit. This passionate pursuit of God. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want it more than ever before. I don't care about a whole lot anymore. Let me go deeper. Let me go deeper, God. Let me live out your purpose, your passion for me and for this lost world. So let me finish today as Aaron comes and plays for us and and we pray. Let me ask you just a couple of questions. What are you passionately pursuing right now? What is it that has captured your heart, that has captivated you so much that you're giving your life for it? And let me ask you, is it going to be worth it? 
Is it going to be worth it? What has captured your heart? Funny of the times we're living in, so much is being stripped away. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you for that gift. And here's the last question. What would prevent you from committing yourself right now, here this morning, from fully and totally passionately pursuing Christ in your life before you leave today? What is it that's, that's in your way? I challenge you. I challenge you to make a commitment to God this morning to say, God, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to let it go. And I'm going to grasp onto you. Some of you, maybe you're just starting. Maybe somehow you've heard this message and, and you just, you, faith has, has been given to you this morning by the grace of God. And you're like, I don't know why, but I believe in Jesus this morning. Would you just pray with me here in just a minute and just profess your faith to him right here and right now? Some of you, you just need to be stirred. You need to continue. You need to become more like Christ. And then some of you, it's time to go deeper. It's time to go deeper. Hey, would you stand with me and let's pray as we close this service this morning. No better way than just to commit ourselves a, a, a bunch of sinners saved by grace in the hands of God who says, I love every one of you. There's nothing that you've done that I can't clean up and take you right where you're at now and help you get to where you need to be. Let's pray together. Father God, um, for those of us that are here this morning, we would just simply say this, that Jesus, I do believe. I do believe that you are the Son of God, but I've, I've not received you. I've not received your gift of eternal life in my life, and I'm ready this morning. You've been working on me. You've been pursuing me, and this morning you got me. Here I am. Here I am. Take me this morning, and if that's you, just tell him. Just, he understands your heart. You don't have to pray specific words. Just tell him this morning. Just say, I believe, Jesus. I believe that you are the Son of God. Take me. Some of you just need to pray right now. Oh, God. I've, I've, been, I've been lax. I've been complacent. I need to be more like your son. Would you just forgive me? And, and I just want to confess my sin. Would you cleanse me? And would you just help me to become, take me where I'm at and help me to become more like your son, Jesus, day by day. I just want to commit myself to that passionate pursuit. And if that's you, just tell him, Lord, I commit myself to that passionate pursuit. And others, you just simply need to say to God, oh, I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper, God. Oh, help the things of this world, the grip of the things of this world, just lose their grip on me. And help me go deeper with you. 